0: So open your Bibles tonight, if you will, for our Bible study, and we're going to go to the book of Psalms, 27, Psalm 27. And uh, we're going we're to we're read here, Psalm, chapter tw- or Psalm 27, uh, and uh, see what the Lord has to say for us in this. And I think it'll be a help to us tonight. And I know it blessed me as I, as I prepared in, and studied for it. So Psalm 27, David is writing, and we're going, to find, we're going to find a shifting of emotions in this psalm. So as we read it, see if you can pick up where it happens, okay, as I read through this. Psalm 27, verse 1, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Those are two great questions based on the greatness of our God. What a powerful, powerful verse of Scripture. When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though a host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. And though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in His temple. For in the time of trouble He shall hide me in His pavilion. In the secret of His tabernacle shall He hide me. He shall set me up upon a rock, and now shall my head be lifted above mine enemies round about me. And therefore will I offer in His tabernacle uh, sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord." Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me and answer me. When thou saidst, seek my face. My heart said unto thee, Thy face, Lord, will I seek. Hide not thy face from me. Put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help. Leave me not, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path because of mine enemies. Deliver me not over unto the will of mine enemies, for false witnesses are risen up against me, and such as breathe out cruelty. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, and be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Father, bless and give us what we have need of tonight. Thank you for each person that's here. And uh, those that are gathered in, in our study here and then those that are back with the ladies and those with the kids. I'm grateful, Lord, for, for South Valley Baptist Church and, and the ministries that go on here. And I pray for those that are not feeling well tonight that you would help them. Lord, bless Chad. Get him back on his feet. Help him to feel better. And, and uh, Lord, just, just uh, continue to bless those that are on our prayer list. Be with them. Help Luke, dear God. Give Luke... Uh, the strength, the wisdom, the guidance of the doctors, Lord, in, in a way that's uh, just, uh, we can see your hand in that. And uh, help, help Mark Mason's uh, neck to continue to heal. And just do the things, Father, that we, we need you to do. And uh, God, we promise we'll give you praise and glory for all of it. In Jesus' holy name, I pray these things. Amen. So it's very obvious as we study Psalm 27 that David starts out this psalm on a very positive note. He, I, I, and again, I, I can't overemphasize that verse. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? That's a rhetorical question because the answer is nobody. Because God is our light. He is our salvation. There's no one to fear. Then, then he says, the Lord is the strength of my life of whom shall I be afraid? So he doubles up on that. He not only is the light, he not only is my salvation, he's my strength. And so because of that, in the comparative uh, uh, degree, we understand that because God is with us and that God is our Father, there's nobody in the entire world that ought to strike fear into our hearts uh, because because of who is with us. Now, David talks down here, and he, he just everything is positive. He desires of God that he would be in the house of the Lord all the days of his life and and uh, talks about in time of trouble, God will hide him in his pavilion. he'll He'll be safe there with the Lord in the secret place of his tabernacle. Uh, he's going to put him on a rock, you know, where he's above and beyond that which is below him. and uh, just just talking about all those things. and then he, then he talks about it. Shifts in verse number seven, because now you begin to hear. You begin to hear. He uses the word there a little further up about the confidence and his confidence is in the Lord. But now in verse number seven, there's a shift, and he begin. You begin to sense a little desperation in in David's voice, and he begins now. He begins now to talk about needing the mercy of God, asking God to hear him when he cries to him and to give him an answer. Notice he doesn't just say, Hear me, Lord, but he says, And answer me. Have you ever prayed? Have you ever prayed, number one, where you thought maybe God wasn't listening? Now come on, be honest, because we all have probably. Have you ever prayed where you felt like the heavens were made of brass and that your prayer did not get beyond the ceiling and that as you prayed, you were wondering if God was hearing. David experienced that a lot because there were times David would say to God, look, I'm in trouble and where are you? Where are you? Well, first of all, he didn't sense the nearness of God and second of all, he didn't get an answer from God. He he didn't know if God heard him. I was talking with a friend of mine the other day and he was going to send me a message and he said this to me. He said, when you get my text message, answer me so that I'll know that you've got it. He was sending me information but he wanted to make sure that I had the information. So he said, answer me. Well, David has is, is prayed to God, and he said to the Lord, he said, look, I, I need mercy, I need help right now, and, and when I pray to you, Lord, would you hear me? But, but wait a minute, I, I need to know that you've heard me, and I need to know that by answering. Now, I want to say this to you, that, that sometimes the answer doesn't always come when we expect it to. Sometimes... We pray and pray and pray, and then we pray and pray, and, and, and then the answer comes. And during that time period, perhaps there, there are things and reasons for that. Maybe God's training us and teaching us. I certainly know this, that during the times we don't have the answer or the times we have to do the most trusting. When the answer comes, we've got it. Whether it's no, yes, or maybe, or later, I don't know. We've got the answer. But, but when we don't have... When we don't have the answer, that's when faith comes in, and when uh, and we 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 really have to trust the Lord. And, and so David then confesses to him. He said, "You you told me to seek your face, and, and from my heart I said, Lord, I'm I, I'm going to seek your face." David David's expressing his sincerity. David's in trouble, and David's got problems. And David is surrounded by things that that are distressing to him. And he's expressing the sincerity of his heart. You you told me to seek your face. God, I want you to know I am doing exactly what you you told me to do. And and then notice what he says. Hide not thy face far from me. Okay, I'm, I'm seeking your face. But don't hide it from me. You've asked me to look you in the face and I'm struggling right now to find your face. So God, don't hide your... You know what I love about Psalms? I love about Psalms is that David's not playing church. Okay, David doesn't play church in Psalms. Our idea would sort of be, we, we, would, we would get flamboyant in our prayer to God, but we would never get as raw probably as David does sometimes. Okay? So, so here's David, and David is praying to God, and he is... He is being extraordinarily raw, just really, really blunt with God, straightforward with God. And rather, rather than do it using flowery speech, David just says, God, you told me to seek your face. I'm seeking your face, and I need you not to hide your face. Okay? I, don't, 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 don't move your face from my sight. Don't dodge me. David's just being real blunt with his feelings right now, and I appreciate that because it lets us know, here's a man after God's own heart, and he's praying like this, and, and we sometimes feel like we have to put a facade on and, and, and act like, you know, uh, that, that there's no reality to, to these type things, but there, there's much reality to it. So he says, Hide not thy face far from me. Put not thy servant away in anger. Now, we know this. We know that God... We know that God is not putting us away, okay? So we understand in the New Testament, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon somebody for a purpose, anointed them for a job, and then, but He did not indwell them. In the New Testament, the Spirit of God, He comes not only upon us, but He comes within us. He is in us. The Comforter is in us. And so we know He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And then He said, Jesus said, when I go away, I will send another Comforter. And, and that that comforter will be, will be in you. But here David, of course, is, is saying, Put not away thy servant in anger. You've been my help. Leave me not, verse 9. Forsake me, neither forsake me, O God, of my salvation. And then there's a great statement, Even if my mother and my father, that's what he's saying in, in verse number 2, Even if my mom and dad forsake me, Lord, you will take me up. I remember... I remember a, a kid in Bible college. His name was Suarez, and he came came to school. I think I was a, I was a junior, in fact I, I know I was a junior then. He was a freshman, and he had gotten he had gotten born again, and his mother and father had kicked him out of the house because of his faith in Christ. He was booted from his home, and so he comes to Bible college and living in the dorms. And I remember I remember at different times like Thanksgiving and Christmas, people from the church would take him in and take him home. I remember during the summer, people would allow him to stay and the college worked it out where he could work and, and hang around because he had no home to go to. I've told you the story of being in India and finding people that were abandoned by their family. And the pastor told me as I was preaching, and we saw hundreds saved during that, those 17 days there. It was amazing. And, and the pastor said to me, many of these people that walked the aisle... Many of these people that make a public profession of faith, they will lose their jobs. They'll lose their their families. Many of them will be disowned by their family because they've placed their faith and trust in Christ. And so it's, it's, it's it's a powerful verse. Even if my mom and dad forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Now... He gets down, he gets down to verse number, and I want to read two verses and then I want want to get right into the meat of the message. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path because of mine enemies. Deliver me not over to the will of mine enemies, for false witnesses are risen up against me and such as breathe out cruelty. And and so we find here the, the, the inner emotional struggles of the sweet psalmist of Israel. And somebody who had such a walk with God, you might think, you know, uh, David's got it all together. Yeah, David, David, David went through so many lessons in his life that we've learned from David's relationship with Saul and even the mistakes that David made. And, and uh, David just sort of emotes out um, his struggles that he's facing. And by the way, By the way, they're the exact same struggles that people have today. Times have changed and and cultures have changed, but people have not changed. And the struggles that David faced within his own people and within his own culture are the very things that we face with our people and within our own culture and the life that we have uh, here in the United States. So uh, it's, 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 uh, it's basically the same. Life isn't all... Uh, bouquets and blessings here. David wrestled with despair uh, uh, from time to time throughout the Psalms and he had a, he had a, David struggled. Come on now, read the Psalms. David had a struggle um, understanding how the wicked could be successful in their endeavors and that godly people seemed sometimes to really struggle themselves. They were successful and yet here I am. And you know, that can be a struggle for us sometimes. We, we, we don't sometimes see justice uh, in a manner in which we think justice should be meted out. We think sometimes, you know, I counseled with, a, with a, somebody not long ago, and they said to me, that's not fair. They had a problem in their life, that's not fair. They had a struggle within their family, and they said, that's, that's, this, this just isn't fair. Why, how could this be fair? Well, life's not fair. And you read through the book of Psalms and you'll find out there's a lot of unfairness in life. And wait a minute, wait a minute. You, look, you can't say God's not fair. God didn't make the mess. Man made the mess. So we need to stop blaming God for the things that man did and continues to do in this world. And it impacts every single one of us in one way or another. Uh, it's, not God's, it's not God's doing. And, and so um, uh, here is David sort of bearing his soul. Now this psalm in particular sort of runs a gauntlet of of emotions and and um, I think there's a very definite division there when we get down to verse number 7. One minute David seems to be on the top of the mountain and, and the next he, he lies in the depths of the valley. One minute he's filled with faith. The next minute he's overwhelmed with fear. He starts out in verse 1 and says, who should I be afraid of? Who, who, who should I fear? God's on my side. Why would I be afraid? Why would I fear? You read down, hit verse 7, things begin to change. His emotions swing a little bit and David's afraid of people that are after him and he's begging for mercy. He's asking God not to hide his face, to hear him and to answer him, to deliver him from the very enemies that he's not supposed to fear. And so the first half is a song of confidence and the second half is a song of concern and in the first he's praising and in the second half he's praying. And so that's where we are and, and that's where we'll be in our life from time to time. I mean, that's just true, guys. We're, we're going to, we're, we're not going to have all of our ducks in a row. Don't look, don't, 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 don't think yourself unspiritual because there are times when you struggle, because we all do. Don't think, don't think that you're a spiritual pygmy because you struggle to grab enough faith <laughs> or the problem that you're facing. Those are, yeah, I mean, that's real for all of us, and it's a battle that we we go through. Um, Some commentators, there's such a swing of emotions here that some commentators have suggested that this was written by two different men, and that's ridiculous to me. What they're ignoring is the fact that in all of us there there is faith and fear. It's like the man who said, Lord, I believe... Help thou my unbelief. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah. On this side, yes, I have faith. On that side, hmm, I'm struggling with my faith. And so I, I don't think we could ignore uh, the reality of the rise and fall of the human spirit and how, how quickly our emotions can be impacted by things. You can be here tonight singing praises and something can happen through a phone call on the way home and all of a sudden you've you got, you got things you're dealing with that are bigger than you are. And uh, and I think if there's a trigger thought, if I could pull out a trigger thought from this um, chapter, uh, look at it, it'll be in verse number 6, because that's, that's where things begin to change. He said, Now shall my head be lifted up above what mine enemies, watch this, round about me. Um, therefore will I offer in the tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing. I will sing praises unto the Lord. (laughs) And he starts talking about, Lord, would you hear me? I'm crying out. Uh, It's it's almost like that was a trigger in the change. He he continues to praise, but then all of a sudden it's like a cutoff. Next verse, boom, you find David in trouble. And I I think as he began to focus a little bit perhaps maybe on the enemies that are round about him, uh, I think he began to realize the predicament that he was in and the opposition that he was faced. He seemed to be hemmed in by trouble. David David said, they're round about me. He, they're laying seeds to him. And as he begins to, I mean, he starts out really strong and then as he begins to think about it, then he starts talking about his enemies. My enemies round about me. And then he starts talking about crying out to God and desperately needing God's help. And so it's very important uh, that we realize sometimes life can get crowded. Sometimes um, we can make our worst decisions in life when we're aware of and focused on the enemies that have laid seeds to us. and It can drive our emotions low. And, and, uh, and by the way, let, let, me just, let me just tell you that as long as Satan is alive, uh, and on this earth, there are going to be difficult times in our life because he's going to see to that. So the steadiness of it. I, I used to watch the show Combat. You, those of you that have been around for a while, you, you, that's my favorite TV show ever. Love Combat. Still comes on some on Saturday nights on, on uh, just regular TV, and I'll pick up a couple episodes of it. Love, I got, in fact, I own every episode ever made of Combat. Every one ever made. I've got them. I love it. Great stuff. It's one of those shows that, uh, unlike Hogan's Heroes, it, it was real. I mean, there was enemies, there was America, they were the bad guys. They were shooting, people were falling, you know, and in, in, in that kind of stuff. So I, 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 as a kid, I liked that. I would go out and play combat for hours, and, and uh, we had in our backyard a big magnolia tree, so the pine cones from that were perfect. They were perfect hand grenades. If you hit somebody, they couldn't deny it because there were little barbs in them. But anyhow. Uh, it was a, it was. I, I loved that show and one of the things that was so true to life is that when Sarge and his platoon would get new guys in, he would stick those new guys with a veteran that had learned how to remain calm in battle and in action. And so the reality of the matter is that as we grow in the Lord, we, we learn some things, and, 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 and that brings me to my first point. David says there in verse number 11, teach me. Teach me thy way. Teach me thy way, O Lord. And, you know, tell me, tell me what you would have me do. WWJ, what would Jesus do? Teach me what you would do. Teach me what you want me to do. Lord, just don't make me skilled at doing my own thing. Don't don't polish me, don't polish me to advance myself. Here's what I need, Lord. I need you to teach me, but I need you to teach me your way, not my way. And and I think that's David's recognizing the fact that his way isn't enough. We go our way. We're studying on Sundays a man by the name of Samson, and listen to me. uh, uh, Everything in that that narrative of Samson, it's all about his way. I'm talking about from the get-go to the last go. I'm talking beginning to end. There's not one singular. There is not one singular thing in, in the narrative of this man's life that would look out and say, boy, hey, this, this guy's amazing. He's really giving it all for the glory of God. That's not what he's doing. He's giving it all for the glory of Samson. Now, we're going we, you know, to talk later. Why is he in the hall of faith? We're going to talk about that. But, but the reality of the matter is our way... Is the wrong way. Our way is always the wrong way. There is a way, this is an important verse of Scripture. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 25 says the same thing. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. So our way is never the right way. And we may have it all figured out, but I'm going to tell you something. Uh, we're, we're going in the wrong direction. So David says, teach me thy way, teach me thy way, O, o Lord. And I think that, that uh, sometimes one of the biggest mistakes we make is that when we go through difficult times, we come out the other side of it, none the better for going in. Now, now listen to me, if, 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 you're going to, if you've got to go through the ordeal of whatever it is, I would, I would bring a yellow legal pad along, or your iPad, whichever generation you're on. I would bring something along and take some notes. I'd take notes, man. I'd take, I've, I've, told, I've told young guys that have been going through something. I'll, I'll, I'll send them a text, say, I'm praying for you, and this is what I'll say. Take good notes. And they send back a question mark. What are you talking about, take good notes? No, I'm saying, no. God's God's going to teach you some things through this. Through this fiery furnace, God's going to teach you some things through it. Take good notes. And here's the reason why. Because somebody is going to come behind you. Your path, listen, your footprints aren't the only footprints on the dark path you're walking right now. And there'll be other footprints that come behind you. So what can you learn from those that have gone before you and what will others be able to learn from you? Take good notes so that you can share them with others and and learn the things that that God has for you. Psalm 119, verse 71, this is what David said. David said, it is good for me that I have been afflicted. I said, what? This is a good thing. It's good. Yeah, I like it. This is great. it's good for me. Now, David didn't say it was fun. David didn't say I like it. David didn't say I'd go through it again. David said none of those things. David simply made this statement, it is good. It's good for me that I've been afflicted, that I have gone through what I have gone through. And here he gives the reason why, that I might learn thy statutes. Statute is one of nine synonyms in the 119th Psalm, for the Word of God. So when you read law, precepts, statutes, uh, when, you, when, when, you, when you read those things in Psalm 119, they're, they're different synonyms for the Bible, for the Word of God. So David said, it's good that I go on You know what's done for me? It's made me dig in the book. I've had to dig in the Word. I've, I've had to get deep in the Word and find out exactly what God wants to say to me through this. Boy, I'm going to tell you, you go through times in your life the only thing that will bring sanity to you sometimes is the Bible. And, and, and you know what? Sometimes God doesn't deal specifically with what you're going through, but when you soak yourself in the Word, when, you just, when you're just consuming Bible and truth into your life, you're going to find that it gives you the strength that you need and, uh, uh, to, 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 to get through the other side of what you're going through. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8, here's a great verse of Scripture. Though he were a son, speaking about Jesus, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience through the things which he suffered. What does that mean? It means that Jesus came into this world as a child and that he yielded himself to the process of learning, okay? Jesus wasn't a baby and his mother's holding him in the manger and he looks up at her, you know, three minutes after birth and says, Mary, do you realize I'm God? Okay, that didn't happen. He grew. He had to grow. And he went through a lot of the same processes that, that, that we all do as children and got to the place to where he learned to walk and learned to speak. And so he yielded himself in obedience to that process that, that uh, his father had placed him in. And and so that's important. You know, you know the, the the tragedy here's the tragedy. The tragedy is we reach such when we reach such a when we reach such a haughty and arrogant place to where we think we have nothing left to learn. Any person any person that cannot be wrong has no right to lead. Whatsoever, if, if we can't recognize, maybe I'm not right on everything. Maybe maybe I was wrong. Maybe, I mean, if if we can't, if we can't get to the place to where we realize we've not arrived, then we have no authority and no real credentials to lead uh, anyone. And it's a, it's a tragic and a haughty thing. I, you know, the years I spent in, in Christian education and loved every second of it. But the sad thing to me was was finding a teacher that felt like they had mastered their subject, and because they felt like they had mastered their subject, they weren't hungry. They weren't learning. They, they, They did what they had to do just to get by, and no more. They weren't bringing any extras to class. They weren't trying to make the subject they were teaching interesting to their students, it was, just, it was just meat and potatoes and no f- seasoning and no flavor. And the reality, that oh, the kids I'm sure learned some things, it, it, was, uh, it was taught in a manner that didn't come from humility. And I think we become stagnant in our spirit and stagnant in our growth when we don't realize we have room to grow. James 3.1, I love this verse of Scripture. Brethren, he said, Be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. You want to be a master? You remember the old feudal system? Where, you, you know, you, my, my, my pop-up, when he, um, they kept the language from the feudal system. My pop-up, when he worked at the Savannah Transit Authority, uh, he was a mechanic there, and, and he reached the grade of master mechanic. I'll never forget as a young kid, seeing something that they'd put up on the wall, my papa was a master mechanic. He wasn't just a mechanic. He wasn't learning. He wasn't a novice. You know, he wasn't an apprentice. He was a master mechanic. He's the guy that taught. Okay. Well, James said here, be not many masters. Okay, you want to be a master? Okay, you think you've got, you think that you know everything? Well, that's not a good place to be because, because he says, knowing that we shall receive the greater confidence, If you've got it all figured out, then thinks how much should be expected of you. I've had Bible teachers when I, was, when I was young that taught me the Bible, but they taught it from the viewpoint of a master. And can I just tell you, it was, it was dry toast with no butter and no jam. It was, the, it was the Word of God, but it was so unbelievably dull that, that you dreaded going to class because the guy thought he was a master, you know. No, we're, we should always be students. We should always remain students of life because there's, everybody knows something that you don't know, so everybody can teach you something. And that's, a, that's, that's an important thing to remember. Um, um, I, I think that um, what James is saying is don't ever think you've arrived. Don't ever stop learning. Don't, never, never stop asking God what He's trying to teach you And uh, the main thing that you'll learn through all of it is that you can actually trust God. When things aren't going your way and you don't know why things are happening, you can still trust Him. And the question's not whether there will be lessons to learn. The question is whether we will be open. Okay, before we can learn anything, we have to be teachable. If you've ever taught in school, if you've ever been in any kind of a class, you've taught students that were not teachable. They didn't come to learn they didn't want to learn. When the semester was over, they got very little. And then you've got kids that are sitting there, and they are hungry, hanging on your words. They're thirsty for what you're giving them, and they walk away, and, and they, you feel like you've invested and in given them something. God's trying, to, God's trying to teach us something. And by the way, sometimes failure teaches us how to succeed. So everything we learn in life isn't going to be uh, you know, it's, it, look. I, I guarantee you before my pop-up hit master mechanic, I guarantee you there were a lot of things that he, that he struggled with down that process of line before he hit that level. And in our life, it's, it's a continued school of learning that God's got us in. And some of the things we're going to learn the most from is how not to do what we just tried to do and did it wrong. So we, le- we learn from the negative aspect of that. I've been to Thomas Edison's home, his laboratory and botanical gardens in Fort Myers. It's a great place to visit if you're ever there. When he finally came out with a light bulb, and by the way, his gardens, the botanical gardens are still lit by uh, the light bulbs that have the goldenrod uh, guts uh, uh, into those, and, and uh, it's it's amazing. He still light the gardens with those those light bulbs. Fantastic. and And when he when he invented the light bulb, a reporter asked him, and he said this question to him. He said, "How did it feel? To, how did it feel to fail a thousand times in doing this? It was it recorded failure after failure after failure. How did it feel to fail doing this?" And Edison replied, "This I didn't fail a thousand times. The light bulb was an invention with a thousand steps. I thought that was great." And then he said this. Great success is built on failure, frustration, and even catastrophe. And so I think that all of us have to be humble enough to get to the place to where we realize we're going to fail. I can't remember who I was golfing with, um, but I hit a bad shot. And I was with a group of guys that, you know, they golfed a bit. and I hit a bad shot, and I said, doggone it. Can't believe I shanked that. And the guy said to me, he said, you're not good enough to get mad when you hit a bad shot. Well, after he took my sandwich out of his temple and healed up, we got our relationship squared away again. But, you know, it's really, come on, isn't it that true? We, look, we're not, we're not really good enough to think we can get by with no failure. We're, we're going to fail. And we're not going to do it right every time the first time. And uh, we, we, we need to not be so haughty as I think we are. Nick Saban's probably the greatest college football coach that ever lived. Still alive and still building his legacy, but what, what a coach. I'll never forget after a particularly disappointing loss in the big dance, the big game. reporter asked him, he said, Coach Saban, you know, I I, I hate that awkward point where they send a reporter to ask an obligatory two stupid questions of somebody that's just lost the game, or at halftime when they catch him running back. Uh, The team has been obliterated and blown out, and they send a reporter over, and she says to him, "Uh, what went wrong? Everything went wrong. I mean, just the dumbest question. So they get Saban afterwards, and this reporter was respectful and, and said, he said, Coach, I know it's a tough loss for you. I'll let you get back with your players, but will you just will you just put this one behind you and just forget it? will just just put it behind you. And I'll never forget Nick Saban suddenly just sort of out of a out of a obviously disappointed demeanor, sort of came to life like he was shocked, and he said, Oh no. No, we'll learn from this one. And then he said this statement, never waste a, ne, never waste a loss. Never waste a loss. And I will tell you, that's a great attitude to go through life because we're going to have losses, but we should learn from them. So David said, David's in trouble now, and David says this, Lord, would you teach me? Could you teach me how to do this? Could you teach me your way? Could, could you show me? I, you know... I do a lot of work on my own cars and have over the years. I wish I had the money that I saved from doing my own work. Uh, I'd be really happy, but I could, nobody got paid. Susie never would write a check to me. But anyhow, so I worked on my cars. I've done all kind of stuff on my vehicles. You know where I learned that from? I learned that from my brother-in-law, Ed Bruce. Ed was a, Ed was a mechanic in the Air Force. And there's been so many times where where we've gotten under vehicles and Ed's shown me how to do certain things. I mean wanna just a young teenage guy draining my transmission and and replacing the filter and man, I've done fuel pumps and everything and of course brother Paul's here. So he's in a league of his own. And but I remember one time I was over at Ed's house and uh, probably five, six years ago, and he needed to do some things on his brakes on his vehicle and I showed him something about the breaks. And he said, I've never done that in my life. I've, I did, I've never done it that way. And he said, that's much easier than how I've been doing it. So I felt really good being able to teach him something. But I learned so much more from him than I ever could teach him. He, this is what David is saying. Lord, could you teach me how to do life? I'm in trouble. I'm surrounded by my enemies. I don't know what to do. I want you to just, I want to be trainable. Will you show me how to do what I'm supposed to do? And boy, I'll tell you, if we approach God like that, man, I've dealt with people that their marriages have just caved in so many times throughout the years, and I want to just say, don't. That's not the way. If we would just go to God and say, I don't know how, could you show me? God will do that. Notice the second thing he says, verse number 11. Look at it again. Teach me thy way, O Lord. Now watch this. And lead me. So what's David doing here? David basically right now is he's getting us out of the classroom. Let me ask you a question. You don't have to raise your hand. but, but and don't, You don't have to answer out loud. But Could you think for just a moment, what is it that you were taught in high school or, or just through your school years? What was it that you were taught what subject that has absolutely done you not one ounce of practical good in your life. <laughs> I mean, have you ever thought about that? Uh, ben, you and Gavin, this does not apply to either one of y'all. Pay attention in school and make good grades. No, I mean, you know, when you get to be a, an adult, you, you, you start thinking, I, I don't know. Now, I'll say this, there, were some, there are some classes I wish I'd paid attention in. But maybe there's something that, that, that you took and you thought, yeah, it really helped me. I didn't I really do. I didn't really do. <laughs> I didn't really need that like I thought, that, or like they told me I was going to need it during this time. You find those things out later. Well, David right here. Now, David has said, teach me, and now David is saying, lead me. So here's what David is saying. Okay, I'm getting out of the chair now. We're walking out of the classroom. I'm closing the book. We're getting away from the chalkboard. okay. So, so now, now it is time, Lord, teach me and lead me. So it's, it's not that, it's, this isn't stationary. This is on-the-job training. David is saying, okay, now I'm doing life every day. I need you to help me and show me, but I need you to help me and show me by, by, by letting me follow you. Okay? Um, I remember my nephew, Eddie, um, had some trash in his gas tank, and we had to drop the tank. You know what I've done that 15 times on different vehicles? The best time I ever did it was on a pickup truck where you unbolted the bed and set it off and then got in. But now now you have to drop the tank. On one of my wife's cars, we ground a hole finally so we could get into it if we never needed it again. But you have to drop the tank, slide the tank out, and take the fuel pump out and all because down in that fuel it keeps it cooler and and things like that. But I've I've I'm serious. I've done like 15 of those. And 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 um, um, the first time I did it was 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 somebody showing me how to do it. I wish they never had. And I wish they never had because now I say no, it's a fuel pump. Really, you know how to do that? And uh, last one I did it I think was on. Uh, my daughter-in-law's uh, Dodge Durango. you got to drop that thing out. and Chad had never done it, so I drugged Chad over there with me. Now Chad knows how to do it. Isn't that great? John is learning those things. And I love it because now there's a new sheriff in town. And so I say, I think John can do that job. But anyhow, how do you learn those? Show me. Let me watch you. Can I watch you do this so that I know how to deal with the things that I'm going to face? And... and that's better than chalkboard stuff, isn't it? Let me follow you. God, would you show me how to live through this problem? And could I follow you? Would you lead the way? And I, I, I like that. If he's leading, if Christ is our leader and He is, then, then the reality of the matter is we should be following. Now, um, uh, here's, here's what I like. So, so David's frazzled life's, life, life's in a, he's feeling the opposition. And, and he's praying, Lord, teach me, Lord, lead me. But watch this. I, I love these two words. Look at, that, look at that verse again. Lead me how? In a plain path. That's one of my favorite prayers. I pray it for people often that are facing decisions. I've never forgot this verse of Scripture. I don't know when I picked it up in my younger Christian life. But, but there's been so many times I've said, God, I, I, I need you to lead me in a plain path. I need you to leave. There's a young girl that I'm praying for right now that's got cancer, and she's got some decisions to make, and I sent her this verse. I said, I'm praying that God will lead you in a plain path. What does that mean? It means something that I don't have to do any guesswork about. It means, I was reading the other day, uh, I was reading up on climbing Mount Bora, and they made the comment that, that you get a certain ways up to Bora, and you come through the trees, and you start getting over the hard scrabble, and there's a place between two certain points that it's hard to find the trail. And they talk about just stay with it, you'll, you'll come on it, but you it's be careful because it's, it's easy to miss the trail. Okay. Well, David is saying, I don't want to I, I don't want to come to the hard scrabble and not know where I need I need a plane, I need it marked. I need you to put it down. You know, you think I've been I've been stood I've stood in the ruts of the Oregon Trail and the Bozeman Trail, Santa Fe Trail, all of those different trails. The the fascinating the Old Chisholm Trail. The fascinating thing is is that they were so well traveled that the ruts are still there. They're marked. They're marked in the ground. One of the most fascinating things I ever did when I first moved out here was somebody took me down to the ruts of the Oregon Trail. Now, it means nothing to you, but to me it was emotional. Because, man, I'm standing there, and I'm standing in these ruts. And then we went to South Dakota uh, two summers ago, and I, I, I mean, I, I'm standing. They told me, they said, up over that ridge, the ruts of the Bozeman Trail is still there. I said, are you kidding me? So I start climbing ridges, man. I get up over these ridges, and all of a sudden we come through this place. We got to climb through a fence, and and they, you know, it, it was a fence you could go through, but the gate was locked. We we climb through the fence, and I get up on this hill of this ridge, overlooking this huge expanse, and there, there are two unbelievable ruts just disappearing off. It's the Bozeman Trail. You're standing literally where history was made. It's 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 a plain path. It's it's amazing. In in a Southeast Georgia, between a town called Jessup and a town called Brunswick, there's a wildlife management area called Sansevilla. In that portion, there, there are so many other portions. It's literally hundreds of thousands of acres. But in just the small, it, it was the small section, Sansevilla, there's 17,000 acres of just absolute swamp. So I go down to deer hunt one day, and deer and hogs, and so... I'm in there, and and uh, I, I liked always like to get on the tree line where the hardwoods and the pines sort of bumped into each other and it dipped down into the swamp. Well, I don't know how it happened. When I came out of my tree, I got turned around as to as to where I was supposed to be. and 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 during that time, it was dark and and getting getting darker. And, and the trees seemed to tighten in around me. And, and the amazing thing about that is, is that every single tree looks the same when it gets that dark. And so I'm, I'm scurrying my way through that. Here's, here's what happened to me. Ultimately, ultimately, I, I, I realized where the sun had set, and that gave me my direction. And I followed the setting of the sun, and I found the road. And the road was real clearly marked, obviously, It's a dirt road. But I, I made my way out. Well, I'm thankful that that there are times like where David's at, that you don't have to go through guesswork. I love the song, He leadeth me, O blessed thought, O words with heavenly comfort fraught. Whate'er I do, where'er I be, still tis God's hand that leadeth me. And and then he, he says in the last verse, And when my task on earth is done, when by thy grace the victory is won, Even death's cold wave I will not flee, since God through Jordan leadeth me. So in our life, God wants to guide us and God wants to lead us. He wants to to lead us in a plain path. That's a prayer we ought to all remember. When you're going through struggles and going through things and facing uh, decisions you've got to make, ask God to give you a plain path. And uh, it's a biblical prayer. And then last of all, notice verse number 12. Would you look at that? Verse number 12. David says this, not only, not only teach me, not only lead me, but deliver me. Now notice he says, deliver me not. So God, I don't want you to deliver me, I don't want you to deliver me to my enemies. They're all around me. So don't deliver me to my enemies. So what's he praying? Deliver me from my enemies. Okay. So, so, so here is David's asking God to deliver him from the problems that are surrounding him. And you know what? Sometimes there are things that, that, that overwhelm us. And they're really not there to help us. Have you ever been there before? this I, I don't really feel like this is good in my life. Um, Jesus taught us to pray um, in, the, in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our sins, the model prayer, as we forgive everyone that is indebted to us, Luke 11:4, 4, and lead us not into temptation, watch this, but deliver us from evil. So evil's not in the world to help us. Evil's in the world to destroy us. So there are things in our life. There are things in our life that are much bigger than we are, and that will overwhelm us, and that will that will annihilate us. So, what do we? How do we pray about that? Deliver me. There are things that will destroy your marriage. There are things that will destroy your health. There are things that will destroy your spirituality. That will destroy your testimony. That will destroy your faithfulness. So, how do we pray for those things, Lord? Just deliver me. Just get me out of this. Take me, take me from this. I love 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. You, you, you look at that. Everybody turn there. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I want you to see this verse. It's a great verse of Scripture. Because we're talking about now, he's our, wait a minute, he's our teacher, right? Jesus is our teacher. What else is he? He's our leader. So he teaches us and he leads us but He's our deliverer. So He's our teacher, He's our, He is our leader, and He is our deliverer. Look in chapter, 2 Corinthians 1, verse 10, watch this, who delivered us, that's past tense, circle that word, delivered, who delivered us from so great a faith, watch, and doth deliver, that's present tense. And then He says, in whom we trust that He will yet deliver us. I love that verse, because it's all three phases. You know what? As I look back over my life, I can tell you this by testimony. He has delivered me time and time and time and time and time again. And I want to give a testimony today. I don't just have a past testimony. Can I tell you this? He's still delivering me. There's times I see every day I'm like, whew, man. Sometimes it's big things and sometimes it's small things. But it's, it's times when, when he, he bails me out of stuff and I'm like, yeah. He, God's not just a God of the past. God's a God of right now. He's, he, not only has He delivered me, He is delivered me. And here's the, here's, the, here's the hope. The hope is He's going to yet deliver me. You know what He's going to do for me tomorrow? He's going to deliver me when I need it. Um, that's why we, we can sing, you know, with confidence, I, I know who holds tomorrow. And I know who holds my hand. Who is it? It's our deliverer. Okay? Galatians chapter 1 verse 4, Who gave Himself for our sins, that He might deliver us from this present evil world. We ought to not become victims to the world, because we have a deliverer that will get us out of that. You ever cried out for God for mercy? You ever been in a place in your life when God reached in and pulled you out? When maybe you were in over your head and going down for the last time? You were fighting to tread water and all of a sudden a hand grabbed you and pulled you out. I stood on the precipice of Niagara Falls and watched the unbelievable volumes of water go over. And in that place there was a plaque at that time and it told the story of a young girl that had fallen in upriver and, and the current was sweeping her down. And as I stood there reading that plaque and glancing from plaque to water, from plaque to water, it was right at the spot where as she was going over the falls to be crushed on the rocks below, some man leaned over with everything he had. Somebody grabbed him and he lunged out and was just able to catch a hold of her clothing and pulled her from sudden death. I'm going to tell you, You ever felt like you were going over the falls? Like your life was out of control and all of a sudden the hand of our Deliverer, our great God, our Savior, reached out and grabbed you and pulled you out? Sometimes we need God to do all three of these, don't we? Really, I mean, come on. We need Him to teach us. We need Him to lead us. And we need Him to deliver us. And I'm glad that God can do all three. All three. Teacher, leader, and deliverer. Well, let's pray, guys. Father, thank you for David. David so many times just blurts it out. And it helps me. I'm glad for Elijah under the juniper tree. I'm not glad that it happened, but I'm glad that you told us it did. I'm glad for the struggles, glad for the heartaches, glad for the people that in Your Word You show us their blemishes, and yet, dear God, You never leave us and You never forsake us. Teach us, God, we have so much to learn in our journey here. Lead us, Father. Don't just show us, don't just teach us how, show us how to do life in a manner that would please you. And then, God, when we, when, we get, when we get near the edge, when we're about to go over the precipice, Lord, deliver us from all of our troubles that have surrounded us. Deliver us, Lord, I pray. We ask these things in the name of Jesus our Savior. Amen.